So Luke chapter 10 from verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where He was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If it is not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that had been performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us His Word. Well, we want to think a few moments about this third petition, second petition, actually, of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. It's, it's such an encouragement whenever we have folk join the church uh, to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at work in their lives. We were sharing that with the elders upstairs uh, earlier. It always causes us to praise God and encourages us that He is at work, as He promised, building His church, and in particular, that He is blessing our church family here in Hill Street. We do so appreciate uh, all of that. And, And it's helpful for us as a congregation, I'm sure, for us to hear people take those vows again. It's, it's great just to, to be reminded uh, of that uh, commitment that many of us have made in times past, and we repeat them ourselves. We uh, reaffirm our confession of Christ, and we rededicate ourselves to following Him and living for Him. What does it mean, however, to live for Him? What, what should be our focus as we think about that? All sorts of ways in which we could answer that question. We could talk, for example, about living for God's glory. Shorter Catechism reminds us that our chief end, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we could talk about what it means to to live for God's glory. But another thing that we could think about is living for His kingdom. That's what we're thinking about tonight. Remember, Jesus told us, seek first His kingdom and all these things will be added on to you. 
And we're thinking about kingdom tonight as we think about what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer and to say especially that second petition, thy kingdom come. You remember we started to look on Sunday evenings at the Lord's Prayer uh, before, way before Easter, just coming back to it now. We, we, we've seen that it is typically divided up as having an introduction and then six petitions and a conclusion. I think we have it uh, here on the screen. Uh, there we are. So introduction, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the first petition, then second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then a conclusion uh, at the end. And uh, we uh, understand, therefore, that this is uh, uh, both something for us to say together, no reason why we shouldn't say it together, but it is also particularly a model for prayer. It's there to, to highlight those things that should be very much on our hearts as we think about prayer. We've made some of these points before, that it, it's primarily concerned, first of all, with God and His kingdom as opposed to us and our concerns. Our concerns come, but they come after we've put them in the context of acknowledging God and His holiness. Now, what does it mean, therefore, whenever we pray, thy kingdom come? What, what uh, should be in our minds? What should we be thinking of whenever we say, thy kingdom come? I'm sure, like me, you often find yourself racing through the Lord's Prayer and, <clears throat> and maybe not thinking all that much about what some of the little phrases means. And, and maybe we think that, that some of them have more weight than others, and perhaps we pass over this one fairly quickly. Well, the Shorter Catechism, you might remember, has uh, some of its later questions uh, teaching about the Lord's Prayer and expanding on the Lord's Prayer. And so it gives us a great example, a great answer as to what is meant by praying thy kingdom come. This is what question 102 says. What do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, it says, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. It's a great, a great answer. So the Catechism is saying, this is all about God's kingdom extending and growing and the kingdom of the evil one being removed and destroyed. Well, we're going to step our way through some of that as we think a little bit about kingdom. You might remember that we looked at kingdom a, a few years ago as we looked at some of the God who is there material that with Don Carson, some of his material, and we're picking up some of that again uh, this evening. So what do we say about God? as a king who has a kingdom. Well, whenever we talk about kingship, uh, we're looking here really at what the kingdom is, and then we're gonna see how the kingdom advances. So what is the kingdom? Well, whenever we talk about kingship, we have a bit of a problem in that our ideas of kingship are very different to the idea of what it meant to be a king whenever uh, these words were written in the Bible. So our own constitutional monarchy uh, the king or the queen has a very limited uh, sort of uh, figurehead sort of function, uh, very limited power. Most of the power derived to government. But a biblical king has very great power, and that is the idea that is drawn on to speak about what it means for God to have a kingdom and to be a king. So Psalm 103, for example, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So here is a king with absolute authority over all things. 
Daniel 4, 35. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is king. He's absolutely sovereign. Now, when Jesus begins his ministry, he talks a lot about kingdom. We saw some of that even in our reading from Luke. And he talks about it in various ways. We're going to just pick up on some of the various ways in which he talks about kingdom. So, for example, he tells a parable. Many of the the parables are about the kingdom, the kingdom of God is like. That's what we were thinking about this morning. The kingdom, he says, for example, is like a man who plants uh, wheat in a field, seed in a field. And then at night, some enemies come and they oversaw it with darnel. You remember the, the story with, with uh, weeds. And, and the two plants grew up together, and the servants of the man begin to realize this later on, and they said, what should we do? Should we try to pull up the weeds now? And the master says, no, let's them both grow together, and then there'll be a final separation at the end. And he says, that's what the kingdom is like. Now, there, there is a picture of the kingdom in which Everybody is involved. It's quite unusual. It's not the way we think about it. But there's everybody involved. Good seeds and weed seeds growing, all under the authority of the master, as it were. So you think about that in terms of world history. Under this sense of God's reign is both Billy Graham and Adolf Hitler, God in charge. And they both grow together until the end, and then there's a great separation. So there's one perspective on the kingdom. There's another perspective, and it's referenced more in the catechism, and that is that Jesus' kingdom sits alongside another kingdom, the kingdom of the evil one, or perhaps better, as we're going to see, it extends into the kingdom of the evil one. It supplants it. So the catechism points us in that direction as it talks about the kingdom of grace and Satan's kingdom, and the kingdom of grace eventually becoming the kingdom of glory. Now, we've got to think about that because there's the kingdom of grace pressing its way into the kingdom of the evil one. And and this is not what we often think of whenever we think about our world. We, We imagine our world as sort of neutral and maybe a... God calling to it from one side and and Satan calling to it from the other, but it's not like that at all. Let let me read you some of the words that the Bible speaks about how Satan is related to this world. So John 8, 44, Jesus speaks to his opponents, the Pharisees on this occasion. You belong, he says, to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. John 14, Jesus says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. There's reference to the evil one, the prince of this world. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age reference to Satan again. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. 1 John 5, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 
So there's just a little brief overview of what the Bible is saying about the relationship of the evil one with the world. And you'll see that it's not that the world is neutral and that God is at one side and Satan is at the other calling to it, as it were, but that actually Satan is in control of this world. He, he, he is under the control of the evil one, is what 1 John says. Now, obviously, under the ultimate control of God, we can say more about that later, but, but his position in this world is a, is a strong one. So, the world belongs to the evil one, and Christ's kingdom is coming to invade it and to call it back to himself. And the Catechism reminds us of that. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced. Then there's another perspective, John 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again, born of water and the Spirit. And there the idea of kingdom means that, that everyone is part of one kingdom or the other, and that only those who are born again are able to change from the kingdom of the evil one into the kingdom of grace. So, so God, what's the picture we're getting? God is, a, is sovereign over all things, but in a special sense, He rules over His people. His rule extends into their lives as they recognize them, as they recognize him as their king. Like the thief on the cross, do you remember? He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, you are a king, you are my king. Now, there are other variations that Jesus gives us as he thinks about kingdom. Sometimes he speaks about the kingdom as having already dawned, it's already here. It's already operating secretly like yeast put into dough, for example. It's, it's growing and developing, having its effect. Yet in other places, he speaks as the kingdom is yet to come, comes at the end where there's a final consummation and a tremendous transformation of all things. So the kingdom is already, but it's not yet. So, so all of these ideas of kingdom are, are going around as, as Jesus is teaching about it. They all center on him, of course. He is the king. How do we understand this? Well, the illustration that's been used really, really helpfully that we've used here a couple of times before is by a Swiss theologian called Oscar Kuhlmann. And he used the illustration of the Second World War and the D-Day landings to try and describe what's going on in Jesus' teaching about kingdom. And it, it really is quite helpful, I think. So he, so he tells us that, that uh, uh, on the 6th of June, 1944, many of you will know these events very uh, well. You're, you're students of, of history as far as these things are concerned. At this time, the D-Day landings took place. You know that the Western allies had already uh, dealt with North Africa, and uh, Russia was moving in from the east. The allies were moving up through Italy at this point. And on D-Day, in, in two days, the Western Allies dumped 1.1 million men and tons of equipment on the beaches of Normandy. This time last year, I was able to spend a couple of days there. I toured the beaches. I went to some of the museums. Some of the most moving stories you would ever imagine about the heroism and the, and the courage of those who came ashore in the landing craft. Tremendous skill at times in terms of, of how things were planned. Tremendous waste of life, of course, also. But after a few days, just a few days, 
The Allies had a foothold in mainland Europe. It was firmly established. And in a sense, you could have looked at that situation and you could have seen that the war was over. And yet, that's not what happened. Hitler did not say, oh dear, I'm finished. I better sue for peace. What followed was some of the fiercest fighting of the war. There was the, the Battle of the Hedgerows as, as the Allies moved east through the countryside of France. There was the Battle of the Bulge, which, where, where the Germans almost broke through again to the coast of France. There was the Battle for Berlin, which was tremendously costly in terms of lives. So the war was not over. It was a year before final victory was declared. So there was a gap between D-Day and VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. And, and Oscar Kuhlman told that story that many people at that time knew, of course, and said, you know, the experience of Christians is like that. The promised king has come. That's our D-Day. Cross, resurrection. And after the rising of from the dead, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. D-Day has happened, you see. The king has come. But does that mean that the devil then says, oh, I've miscalculated, I better offer peace? No, not at all. There follows some of the fiercest fighting of all. Not because uh, Jesus is weak, but because at this point his enemies are not yet fully defeated. His kingdom is not yet fully engaged. So I hope that that starts to make sense of where we are now, this sense of being already and not yet, that, that Christ has come and yet we're not yet complete. We're in the time between Jesus' ascension and His second coming. We know that His second coming will be amazing. It will bring that time in when the Lord will judge all people. It will mean the consummation of His kingdom. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying of pain or crying or pain. How we long for that day. Every knee will bow before Him, some with joy and some in terror. So here we are with Jesus as King ascended to heaven and yet still to return and bring in the fullness of His kingdom. And we now look forward to that day in confidence that the war is over, that He has dealt the death blow to His enemy. And so, as we wait for that day, what do we pray? We say, Thy kingdom come. Lord, bring these things about. Lord, extend Your reign. Hasten the day when you are fully recognized as Lord, when your kingdom is consummated. So God is a king. His son is a king. He has a kingdom, and he will have a consummated kingdom. So that's sort of what, what the kingdom is as far as trying to sum up what the Bible is teaching us. But, but what does it mean for us? How does it grow especially? How does it advance? Well, there we're going to turn our thoughts just for a moment or two to that passage that we read in Luke chapter 10. Jesus has sent out the 72 on this mission trip. 
and they return and they're full of stories. And, and some of you have been on teams, some of you will be on teams, and, and you know what that's like. You, you, you sit in the evening and say, you know, you never guess the, the conversation I had or, or this child in the Holiday Bible Club, they, they said this, or I knocked that door and I just found that someone was ready to speak to me. You, you've, you've, some of you have shared stories like that. And they are full of encouragements. They had so much to share that was positive. And so they say in verse 17 that they return with joy, and they say, even the demons submit to us in your name. So these were missionaries who were given a great measure of authority, a great measure of blessing. They are able to represent Jesus in very significant ways. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So they're really able to speak in the name of God and by the authority of God in a very direct and, and important way. And they're given authority in this case to heal and to cast out demons too. And, and that's what they're so thrilled about. And Jesus uh, slightly redirects their, their uh, thinking and says, rejoice that actually your name is written in the kingdom of heaven. But you see that he says something really interesting in here. Verse 18, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. A couple of ways we can understand this. On the one hand, it might be that Jesus is looking back to prehistory where Satan was thrown out of heaven. And so what he's saying here is, yes, Satan is a defeated foe. You need not worry about him because you have authority over him. Might be that. But it might be that Jesus is saying something else. It might be that he's saying that as they were preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons, as they were doing the work of ministry, Jesus was looking behind the reality of this world. And he was seeing things with a spiritual eye, and he was seeing Satan being pulled down, because that term heaven can just mean the heights. He was seeing him falling from the heights, so he is rejoicing with them, as it were. You see that Jesus is described as full of joy in verse 21, so he's rejoicing with them. Maybe he's even laughing with them. You ever imagine that? Yes, isn't it great? They're coming back, they're full of joy, and Jesus is saying, yes, isn't it great? You know, as you were preaching and healing and casting out demons, I saw behind the scenes, and I saw Satan fall from the heights. I saw his influence decline, his power weaken. I saw Satan's kingdom being destroyed and the kingdom of grace being advanced. Isn't that amazing? that as the, the followers of Jesus proclaim his name and mission, the kingdom of Satan is destroyed and the kingdom of grace advanced. So you see, on the one hand, this is what this means for us, on the one hand, we pray, thy kingdom come. But on the other hand, we are involved in mission, and that involvement in mission is part of the way that that prayer is answered. Stephen Smallman writes, and this is what he says, he speaks of our activity in these areas, he says this, so as we center our lives in Jesus, build up the church, take the good news of Jesus to others, minister to the needy, act as peacemakers, and raise our children to follow Christ, we are following a kingdom calling. So we've, we've listened to these folk 
make these vows tonight. We perhaps have repeated them in our head. Each of us, I hope, has determined with Christ's help to live in this way. And especially that last promise that we would confess Christ openly, serve him in your daily occupations, walk in his ways all the days of your life. We've committed ourselves to be involved in mission. That's what that promise says. And you see, as we give ourselves to that, as, as you as a believer goes from here to your home and to your street, to your workplace through the week, to the folk that you're going to meet for a coffee, to the students that you're going to see, to your friends in some social occasion. And you're there living for Christ. You see, that's part of how this prayer, thy kingdom come, is answered. Isn't that something to live for? Something to focus on? Thy kingdom come. The Lord reigns. All of God's sovereignty mediated through his king Jesus. That kingdom has dawned. It is here. You're either in his kingdom through the new birth or you are not. And the kingdom will be ushered in fully and completely one day. Every knee will bow. There will be no doubt about who is king on the last day. And now we pray for this to happen. And as we do that, we live the lives that God has called us to live so that that day might be hastened. Don't we pray? Come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Take away the days of sorrow and the pain. Bring in the days of no more tears. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that so often we have repeated that phrase without thinking about it as we should. Thy kingdom come. Thank you that Jesus is the king, the one who is building and extending his kingdom. We thank you that we live in a day where the kingdom of grace is advancing. We've seen that even tonight with these folks standing at the front of the church. And we pray that you will continue to advance your kingdom of grace to defeat and destroy the kingdom of the evil one, that the kingdom of glory might be ushered in. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray, thy kingdom come. Use us to that end, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.